Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. It's the perfect day to talk about failure, all right? Failure happens to everyone. Sometimes it's in very public ways. Think any sporting event ever and crowds booing players and, of course, referees. These are jobs you don't want. Think also meteorologists being mocked on social media because they called for snow, guys, and schools canceled. But anyway, failures can also be quieter. They don't have to be known by everyone. There might be things going on in your own life. Maybe there's a dream. Maybe there's a hope, and it hasn't yet come to fruition, and you feel it right in here. Sometimes failures send people spiraling, and at other times, it seems to, you know, just instigate further growth, reaching higher. And the question is, what's the difference? How do you know whether the failure is going to make you fall flat or become stronger? There's actually been some research about this. Professor Dashen Wong and his colleagues from Northwestern University wanted to know what makes people succeed after failure. Can we quantify it? They wanted to try to come up with like a mathematical model to predict. And so they looked back through old data. 46 years worth of data and three interesting groups of people. We have, number one, people who had applied for grants from the National Institute of Health. The other data they could get a hold of was startups that were seeking funding from venture capitalists. And third, terrorist groups. Yes. Were they successful? I mean, we don't have to like it, but they were just trying to figure out what makes them try again. So here are the three factors that Wong and his team observed that cause people eventual success versus just never making it, okay? So they needed to do three things. They needed to value feedback. Wong said that listening to an honest evaluation of your effort, whether you're trying to kill people or get funding, you know, whether you're going to get honest evaluation, how did that go? And then that was a key starting point for ultimate success. Number two, he said you need to learn from your mistakes. And it's not just like, sometimes when people try again, he said they change everything. He said that is a problem. You don't want to throw it all out. You have to figure out what pieces of your effort actually worked, build on those, change the other factors. Wong said, if you focus on what needs to be improved instead of thrashing around and changing everything, then that made a difference. And thirdly, he said the one thing that they started to realize over and over is the need to quickly try again. He said the longer the time went between attempts, and he, he specifically looked at the when people were looking for grants, and he said the quicker the time they like attempted again right afterward, he said then he could predict their success. So trying again quickly made a difference. Today, we're looking at failure in our Exodus series because... Moses, he experienced some failure, and we're going to read two different types today. I'm labeling it internal and external. Now, when I'm trying to say internal here, this is, means it, it was the internal issue of Moses. Like, when failure happens because 
something's going on inside of you. It's your fault, basically. It went wrong. Then there's external failure. When other people have control, when they make the decisions and don't, you know, give you the grant you want. But that external failure, when it was someone else's input, so Moses is going to experience both kinds of failure today. We spent the last two weeks looking at Moses hanging out by a burning bush, meeting Yahweh. God said, that's my name, I am. And he said, you can speak this name and you can know that I am who I am, I will be who I will be, and when I make a promise, I keep it. And so we're going to see God keeping a promise today. Yahweh said, you know, you feel weak. Moses kept giving him all these excuses. And he said, what's in your hand? Because you already have everything you need. Now on his way, Moses is He's trying to build up this confidence. God is saying, you're going to do it anyway. You need to go. And so something on the way happens to Moses, and there's a strange story. There's just like a couple little sentences with so many details left out, okay? And I had the urge to just skip right over this. I mean, one of the books I was reading about, a commentary about Exodus, they just don't even mention it. I'm like, come on, guys. But we have to deal with the hard stuff and the mysterious stuff. So... I thought I would sneak it past you, but I figured y'all are wise readers. So we're going to read, and we're going to figure it out together. So we'll begin with internal failure, Exodus 4, verse 19. Let me read for us. Now the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons. We said he had one son before. Now we have plural. We do find out later in Exodus, that he has two sons. It says, put them on a donkey and start back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand, because God said, I'm going to work through that. Skip down to verse 24. There's some other details. Now, at a lodging place along the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Does anyone else know what this means? Because it's, it's just basic guessing here. But very strange story. We're going to dig into people's theories. That's all we can do, right? We can pray. We can say, God, what are you teaching us here? One theory is that because it's talking about circumcision here, that there is some reason that Moses had not circumcised one or both of his sons and that this was a problem. One idea could be that was he trying to hide his identity from his own family? Did, because when he showed up at the well, if you remember, Zipporah and her sisters were like, a guy from Egypt just watered, you know, got us water. Was he still a guy from Egypt or did he reveal his Hebrew heritage? We don't know. Or how long did he do that? Um, so was this basically, was there something going on in Moses that he was kind of hedging his bets? Was he keeping Egyptian connections, the family that raised him, just in case things with Yahweh went south, right? That is one of this idea here. Is, that, is there something internally that Moses, he tried fighting the oppressors before, but he's, is he planning to collude with them if, like, if it goes really wrong? some reason there's something going on here that's that's an interesting theory 
that's still hard for me to wrap my mind around that God says, you're my spokesperson, I want you to be involved in this plan, we're partnering together, and then a few minutes later, he wants to kill him. That is extreme. I was really struggling. Like, how do we figure this out? I was, I was helped along in a podcast. I meant to put the logo up for us. But there's a Jude 3 project, and Lisa Fields is the founder of that, and she tries to just dig into theology. And she's specifically caring for the black community, but she brings about all these different scholars together, and she had a panel. And it was called, How Do We Read Hard Passages in the Bible? And she had an Old Testament scholar and a New Testament scholar, and they, the whole podcast, I haven't even listened to the whole thing. I'm an hour in. I mean, they're talking slavery. We're talking women's roles. We're talking about all the things that people want to nitpick in the Bible, the details. But she said this. When she gets to a point and she sees something, she was talking about the law codes, like why are these laws having strict punishments? But I see here, like why is God wanting to punish Moses with death? She said, ask the question, who is it protecting? If the penalty is that severe, then what is that sacred, that important, that essential that God thinks we need some really strong rules around it as a hedge to protect it. And she said sometimes it can be clarifying, like what is being valued? If God loves Moses and he has called him into a role, what is risking that? What is more important than that relationship? We don't know. But thinking from that lens, we have to assume that something was going on in Moses' heart something that is in conflict with God's promise to liberate his people. Because Yahweh said, I'm going to free my people. So if he had the need to sacrifice one person for the many, then something big was going on here. Now notice he did not sacrifice Moses. Maybe the threat in itself was enough to get Moses' attention to say, What are my convictions? What am I living for? And I think that that passage is just, it's a wake-up call for Moses. And I hope that then he had clarity on, do you really believe this? Were you ignoring worship of Yahweh in some way? Were you avoiding the covenant he made with Israel? Were you not claiming your own people? It's like, if you're going to be a spokesperson to power, If you're going to represent Yahweh, then you need to be all in here. So it was a heart check. And though we don't know the real issue, and though Yahweh can work through imperfection, he does have to give us wake-up calls if we're on the wrong track. And haven't we seen in our world enough what unchecked people can do? We can all think of examples from everything from politicians to CEOs to church leaders who start to compromise just one decision at a time. Or people stop speaking up to them, holding them accountable. And then they just start to believe what their own vision is and that ego takes over. And we can see the harm that's caused by that. And I just, it's a... It's humbling to be like every leader has to keep checking in. 
Where am I compromising? Am I? And if you look at it, the person who delivered Moses in this story was his wife, Zipporah. We don't even know if she was raised to believe in God or not. I don't, we don't even know how she knew what to do to save him, but she did it. And she not only saved Moses physically, but I feel like she just brought him back. Like, wh- what is your purpose? And I feel like that he needed that person in his life to call him out. And that's what good friends do. That's what good partners do. We need people that we have given permission to speak truthfully into our lives. Because we're not always going to get it right. But we have the right people with us who know our heart. If we desire to live godly lives and we have godly friends in our lives and to say, tell me, speak up. I'd rather you be the one to speak to me before I go down the wrong path. We need Zipporahs in our lives. Moses was not the first God-fearing leader to need a heart check. He won't be the last. But God speaks that same over and over where he's saying, my mission will be accomplished And if you're not willing to step with me, I'm still going to work. The Holy Spirit will move through another person. One of my favorite verses that always comes to mind is another leader who learned this many years from Moses' life. Queen Esther heard from her cousin Mordecai who said, If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come for the Jews, but it will arise from another place and you and your father's family will perish. Who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Moses and Esther had to hear the same lesson from the same God through different voices that said, I'm going to keep this promise to my people. I want you to join me. Are you in? So that was Moses' internal failure. Next, we're going to see the external. But before we get to that one, let's have a little bit of positive. God said to Moses, you know, everyone who was after you in Egypt has passed. You can safely go back to Egypt. Go connect with your brother Aaron. Because remember, Moses was like, I don't don't speak very well. I don't think I should be the one doing this. And God said, you can partner with Aaron But I'm still going to talk to you, and you tell Aaron what to say. You're still part of the team here. So go meet up with him. They have this plan. Moses gives them the lowdown, and then they head to go talk to the Israelites. So before they go speak to Pharaoh, they need to introduce themselves to the people they're freeing. Hi, we're your representatives. We're going to speak for you. Uh, By the way, Yahweh sent us. And Moses was really nervous about this. This was one of his protests at the burning bush to say, God, what if they don't believe that you sent me? And if you remember last week, God gave him some signs that his staff could turn into a snake and that his hand was going to appear with a disease and then be healed again. These were these signs that they were supposed to do first to the Israelites to say, can you trust us that we're God's spokespeople here? And they did. Sigh of relief. Moses, all right, 
his fears didn't come true, and it says that the Israelites were encouraged that Yahweh heard their cry and cared about them. We're going to talk a little bit more about their perspective next week. But let's switch back to Moses and check out his next leadership challenge. Chapter 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and will not let Israel go. They were beginning with a small step here. He's not saying, we want to be free forever and ever. He's just like, can you give us a few days off? Now, it's interesting because there's actually historic records in ancient Egypt saying that there's like reports, attendance reports about slaves in Egypt. And they're like, this guy didn't show up because he's lazy. This guy didn't show up because he went to go sacrifice to his God. And these people over here didn't show up today because they went to uh, go worship. So there is a precedent of allowing some time off, even in this system. So if that was the case, they weren't presenting an unreasonable request. They're like, let's start with something that you're already offering other people. Let's just go worship our God in the desert. And Pharaoh, it just shows that he's already becoming unreasonable, that he's past that point. And he says no. It says his heart was hardening. And we'll talk a bit more about that in a coming week. Pharaoh asked, who is Yahweh? And that phrase is supposed to just be like super disrespectful. Like, I don't even know your God. I don't even, I don't even know him. And now in Egypt, the Pharaoh was not just king. They were seen as divine. So he's kind of like, I am a God. I don't need your God. I'm not listening. All right, so we've got the haughty attitude. Again, we'll talk about this later. We're just giving us this presentation. Now, we have to remember, Yahweh predicted this. But to hear that something's going to happen and then to experience it is quite a different matter. So let's step back into Moses and Aaron's shoes, and they, we have verse 6. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You were no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Sorry, I needed to do a voice there. Um, we won't read the full chapter, but basically the Israelites, you know, well, they're complaining and saying, this is impossible. We can't do the same amount of work if now we have to do more to make the bricks. And Pharaoh's like, he calls them lazy again. He's just, he's not hearing it. And can you imagine the perspective of Moses and Aaron right now? Because they're the ones that have just gone to speak on behalf of the people. And then they're watching everything get worse. But they're not the ones doing the work themselves. So wouldn't that feel even more kind of like, I don't know, guilty a little bit to be like, they're not being harmed and they're watching the things that they're saying out loud have now brought more harm. And the Israelite leaders, oh yeah, they notice, they blame. 
Verse 20, when the Israelite elders left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Ugh, what a punch in the gut. Like, hey, I'm going to be your spokesperson. I'm going to lead you into freedom. And first it's going to get worse. And they are blaming the spokesperson. I just don't know how that would feel. When, you, when a failure like that, it's out of Moses' control. He has no say in it. And the, yet this failure is affecting so many people. It's one thing when you mess up and you're like, I have to deal with it. But to know that this failure, this attempt, is just destroying the bodies, the spirits, the hearts of people that you care about. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. We don't see a response here. And I like that because it's like, God let Moses speak. He didn't punish him for having these feelings. It's interesting if you look in the quotes there, you see how it's got the Lord, all caps. Moses returned to Yahweh, the Lord. But he says, why, Lord? And he calls him that. It's just kind of like, why, master? You know, you can kind of feel this tone. Like he's not even using his name at this moment. Why'd you send me? You said you'd rescue him. I don't see any rescue. Kind of forgetting that Yahweh said this was going to happen. Moses can't see what we already know is going to happen. But in that moment, to not know that you're going to have to fail, he's going to have to fail and fail and fail some more until he sees God's promise. So it feels awful, even though it's not his fault. But that's that burden of leadership that Moses is having to learn. That's why God needed the right heart. Make sure he was the right person because it's not going to be easy. And people can tell you that doing something is hard and just living in it, though, it feels so heavy. And that's why, that's why I'm glad he had Aaron there. Just like he had Zipporah to give him that rescue earlier, I'm glad he had Aaron to walk away with together because leaders need people too. They carry a lot and they don't carry it alone, or at least the successful leaders don't. So that's where we leave things. We're going to leave it nice and unresolved for us. Feel good? Yeah, great. Well, we're just going to, it's going to be to be continued. Next week, we are going to look at the people's perspective, and I'm going to invite you to something we're calling a lament service. Doesn't that sound exciting? But we are all carrying something. And we're going to read from God's people's perspective about the honesty. They're going to cry out next. They're going to look at God and say, why? When? And haven't we all asked those questions? So we're going to invite you all to come back. And anyone watching online, come in person if you can. We're going to lament together. We're going to express honesty. Why and when and how to God. So we're going to have some time next week to process some things together.
So, each week, we want to look at something we've learned about Yahweh. We want to put it into words. What is a characteristic that we learn about the God we serve? And here, I see this week, it's like God stays on mission. If he has a promise, he's going to keep it. And even the people he loves, if they're in the way, he says the, big, the bigger picture is what I have to stick with. But even after Moses had that internal failure, God still rescued him and still said, yep, you're still part of the plan. That's what I wanted for you all along. Failure, okay, forgiving, we're going on, you know. It didn't count him out. He still got to be part of the rescue mission. And we keep looking every week to Jesus because Jesus is fulfilling the same passion and mission of rescue that we see here in Exodus. So we want to keep moving forward and looking, how did Jesus relate to this story? Well, God is the same throughout time, and Jesus also stays on mission. In fact, Jesus had his own people he relied on. He had his own people he was training to be spokesmen, just like Moses was going to be a spokesman for God. Jesus had these 12 key guys he was trying to feed into. And at one point, Peter, ever the fiery follower, um, Jesus was trying to give them this idea that, that at some point he will be killed. And Peter's like, no, you never will. And it says he rebuked Jesus. So I don't know what he got up in his face. I don't, I don't really know how that happened. But Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. That still seems harsh. I mean, Peter's human and his friend is just saying he's going to go be killed. You don't want that. Friends want to rescue friends. But he didn't grasp the full meaning. I think Jesus speaking that out loud is like, I have to do this because it's part of the eternal rescue plan that began in Exodus and was fulfilled at Easter. Peter didn't have the full picture in mind, but like Moses, he would get other chances to step into that mission. Okay, let's try to piece everything together. Moses, I think he lived out the three things that we learned from the failure success study because you're supposed to value feedback, right? Well, he got feedback from the Lord. He got feedback from the Israelites, and he's going to have to process that. He does end up learning from his mistakes, and he's going to keep trying. He's going to have to pretty soon, again and again and again. But those three things, it was just so neat to see, like, I just, looking up some statistics and studies, and I'm like, whoa, this is right here. It's what Moses was living out. Here's the most striking thought to me, is that we believe that Moses was probably the one that, like, physically wrote down Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He put it pen to scroll or however that worked. So if he did, he was the one writing about these failures. He was putting it down knowing that future, maybe he didn't know generations, but he knew somebody was going to read it. And I know he was led by the Lord, but do you think he was like, do I have to put in all the details? And maybe always like, all right, just give them the big picture. 
But he wrote down that God tried to kill him. He wrote down that I went to Pharaoh and he made everything worse. You know, he's left us an example to look to. So that we know, like, you know what? Failure is going to come into our lives. We have to be honest about it. Externally, internally, probably both. I'm sure you've experienced both. And sadly, probably more to come. But we've got this example to be like, you still get to be part of God's partnership. You still get to quickly try again. So I want us to remember three things that we can do after failure to keep moving forward. Sometimes I like to rhyme, guys. Might be cheesy, but sometimes it helps my brain. So we're going to grab a friend, we're going to make amends, and we're going to try again. All right? So grab a friend. We see this over and over in Scripture, that Yahweh did not make people alone. He keeps putting people into community, kind of pushing them together at times. Isolation is where more pain happens, yet God keeps trying to put people together. Moses had Zipporah, he had Aaron, and he needed the people in his life to be wiser than he was in those moments or to be by his side just to give comfort and presence. Our goal is to not isolate when failure happens. We need one another. We need partners and loved ones and friends to be honest with us, to go to God with us and pray, to speak up if they see something that's not quite right. You know, that also means if you're going to somebody, you're going to have to talk about it. You're going to talk about the failure. You're going to have to confess when it's your fault. And that's not easy. Nobody wants to do that. It's good for us. Good for us to find accountability and encouragement and a prayer partner. Number two, make amends. Zipporah helped Moses make amends with the Lord for whatever was going on there. It does no good to us to say we've learned from failure if we're not going to take action about it. If our failure has caused harm, we need to apologize. We need to strive to make amends or at least take steps to rebuild relationships. We need to speak it out loud because the other person needs to hear. I've sat with many of people who just said, All I want is for them to admit it and say sorry. That's the big piece. Jesus died to free us from our sins and our failures and to give us a new chance. And the best way to to use that new opportunity is to go and rebuild what has been broken and take Jesus right there with us. He's going to have to be the one giving us strength. If we're willing to do this on a personal level, I believe that we become examples for communities because we we know there are people groups who need to make amends to other people groups. And if we can start living things out personally, then we can help communally in those efforts. And finally, we've got try again. Just as Dash and Wong's research showed it's important to try again. The sooner the better. Moses will go back again. And, but even if some time has passed, that doesn't count us out. Just know that sometimes it takes a few attempts. 
and then we'll find the right fit for whatever we're facing. But when, but when what we're facing is the Lord's calling, because we said a couple weeks ago that Yahweh invites every single one of us into partnership on his mission to bring his truth, his grace, his justice into the world. We're called to partner in that. And however he specifically has for you, even if you stumble, even if it didn't work out the first time, you're still invited. So let's be brave. Let's step into God's mission. Grab a friend, make amends, try again. Will you pray with me? Yahweh, Lord, God, the great I am. You're kind of intimidating. But we thank you that we can come to you and speak your name. And we thank you for helping us through hard passages. And we trust that you give us what we need to know. And we ask for your help to step in faith into what we don't know. But we see your character revealed that you you care and you want freedom and you want wholeness for us and that is your ultimate goal and so we trust in that even when we read pieces about you we don't understand we trust in who you are we believe help our unbelief thank you for jesus for being you on earth looking a little bit friendly and approachable Help us to trust in you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.